Good morning. Uh, my name is Raleigh Schutz. I was with you last week, actually, and uh, shared a message. And uh, I'm a retired pastor, and I'm a member here at uh, Trinity, so I really don't have any official role here, but uh, I've been privileged to uh, bring a message to you today about uh, the hope that we have. And I'd like us to start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have today to reflect on your word and the hope and the promise that it brings to us. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, pour out your spirit, that what is said and done here today will indeed bless your people, inspire our faith and our hope, and be a, a, to the glory and the honor of your name. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Coronavirus. I don't know about you, but that's a word I'm getting very tired of hearing. It's uh, changed lives for so many people, some in small ways, but others in much larger. People are being told to stay home, and businesses are closing. We, uh, I heard a statistic that uh, one out of ten businesses that close for the coronavirus uh, will not reopen. Of course, people are getting sick, some dying, and uh, the whole world seems to be, be turning upside down. And what we're trying to do then is figure out where is God in all of this? Well, I don't know that I can give you an answer that may satisfy you, but uh, Paul uh, gives us some real insights into uh, suffering in Romans chapter 8. And uh, you may want to pause for a moment and find your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 28. And I'll be walking you through that. Okay, let's start. We start with Paul. Paul was a, knew something about suffering. He says, uh, <clears throat> I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul knew something about suffering because of his, uh, his work in bringing the gospel of, the, of Jesus Christ to the Mediterranean area. Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, that he had been flogged, beaten with rods, driven out of towns, uh, shipwrecked, uh, harassed by uh, bandits. He had uh, experienced really the dark side of what suffering for the name of Jesus is all about. Fortunately, in this country, we don't have to endure that kind of suffering. <clears throat> you have to go to other places in the world where people are losing their homes, or their churches, or even family members, and they're having to flee. But here we deal with the coronavirus. And so Paul gives us perspective. He says that what we're enduring now is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be ours when Christ returns. So let's watch how he fleshes this out. Verses, excuse me, 19 through 22. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. <clears throat> we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the, in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It's interesting that Paul starts with creation in talking about suffering. We don't normally think about creation suffering. But Paul goes back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall into sin. And Adam, when God placed the curse on him, he said, the ground is cursed because of you. And we see then that there's a, a whole poisoning, if you will, of the earth because of what Adam did. Notice Paul says, was subjected to frustration, not by its own will. Creation never had any plans of joining in uh, Adam and Eve's scheme. But what happened was that word hope is injected. <clears throat> And he ties that hope or that expectation to the children of God. And he talks about the, <clears throat> the earth, the creation, will experience its freedom when freedom and liberation is, and glory is brought to the children of God. This is resurrection language. In two weeks, we will be celebrating Easter. When Christ, uh, who was crucified, died, buried, he rose again on the third day. And he is the one then that promises us our resurrection. And Paul is saying here that when we get our resurrection, the whole earth will be liberated from its bondage or this weight <clears throat> that our sin has put upon it. Peter, in uh, Second Peter, describes it like this. He says that when the Lord wanted to cleanse the earth the first time, he sent the flood. But the second time, what's going to happen is he's going to send fire. Now there's all sorts of discussion about what exactly that means. But in the scriptures, fire is used to uh, purify. And in Revelation 21, there is the picture of a new heaven and a new earth. And so when Christ returns, things are going to be, what I would say, restored back to their uh, state that it had in Eden uh, for God's people. But notice, too, what he says is that this suffering are the pains of childbirth, not of death. And that's quite a different perspective on what the suffering that's going on in this world in creation is enduring right now. I had the privilege of being with my wife at the birth of each of our four children. And one of the things that I found out about childbirth is that it hurts. And uh, there's a point where it hurts pretty bad, and it's called transition. But when transition comes, even though it hurts like crazy, there's an excitement because you know that out of the pain is going to come new life. Jesus talks about that in Mark 13 and Matthew 24 about wars and rumors of wars, uh, plagues, famines, 
earthquakes, coronavirus, all of these things being birth pains for what is coming in terms of his return and our salvation or, or freedom from our sin as we are raised from the dead. Uh, perfect bodies to live with him eternally. Now he goes on to say, <clears throat> not only so, talking about creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, notice how many times Paul keeps repeating that word hope, hope. And it's important for us to understand you know, that creation is looking forward to the time when Christ returns. And our looking forward we call hope. Now, <clears throat> hope is first of all, it's based on past salvation. What I mean by that is our hope, going back to the resurrection, that Jesus died and that he rose again. And when we die, we know that we will rise again. That's been established in the past. Last week I talked about God loving the world so much that he gave his son. That we can have eternal life. <coughs> Excuse me. God's loving the world, sending his son to die and rise again for us, guarantees that we too will rise. And so our faith clings to that as fact, historical fact. That happened for us. But also, it is a present reality. What I mean by that is that hope now lives in us and gives us perspective in terms of the here and now. But hope also is a future reality. And that is, we know that Christ is coming again. And that then, the past, the present, the future, that summarizes our hope, which is more than a wish that things will be, but it is a certainty that we, by faith, know that Christ is going to release us from all of this stuff. And he puts it around uh, the, the idea of the adoption to sonship. Scripture talks about two adoptions. In the Roman Empire, uh, adults could be adopted. And if you were adopted, you had the same rights of any other heirs. And using that picture, first of all, in our baptism, we were adopted. But that was kind of a private thing. Whether you were baptized in private or in church, the world didn't see it. The world probably didn't care. But when he comes and we're raised from the dead, there's going to be a new kind of adoption. In the sense that God is going to say, these are mine. These belong to me. I want you to look. I adopted them. And so they have this resurrection that I promised. Now what gets really interesting is Paul says that they wait for it or we wait for it patiently. Um, I've heard different Christians say I don't pray for patience because God will make me go through impatience to get there. 
Well, I, I can understand that because I can guarantee if I go into a store and there's a line, lines to, to check out, I will always pick the one that is slowest. It can be shortest, but something will happen to a person in front of me that takes way more time than anticipated. So I just laugh when I go into the store and I get in line and uh, have to realize that I probably won't get through as fast as what I hoped. That's kind of what patience is about. But patience, <clears throat> first of all, I think we need to see it as a time of refining. If we have to wait for something, our hope gets refined in terms of what we want to see coming. And this too, that we're going through with the coronavirus is a time of refining. Certainly we all pray that God would lift this virus and uh, take it away. But it seems like God has taken his time, doesn't it? Well, he's using that as we wait, wait for him to bring this deliverance to refine our faith. We have to look at how we do church. We have to look at how we uh, relate to one another. There are probably some couples at home that uh, are really having to get to know one another because of their busy lives. They haven't done that. See, God forming and shaping. Uh, parents homeschooling or getting to know their kids probably better than what they wanted to know them. So all of these kind of things are, are going on in terms of teaching us patience. Now, one thing that's helpful, I believe, is to understand what impatience is. Um, impatience is being dissatisfied with God's design, being dissatisfied with God's design and attempting to bring God's future glory into the present. What that means is impatience says, God, you're not doing it right or you're not doing it fast enough. So what I want to do is I want to reach out into the future and the glory that you promised and bring it into the present. And you see, impatience is the cousin of worry. You see, worry, it, it, it shares the same thing. It's, it's dissatisfied with what God is doing. And what worry does, it says, well, God, you, you don't have control over it, so you probably won't have control over things in the future. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull all those troubles from the future in, <clears throat> into today and figure out how to solve them so then we'll have a better future. Well, the problem with impatience and worry is that it's trying to create some sort of utopia where everything goes just the way it's supposed to go. And we'll never have it on earth. No matter how many times it's been tried to make the perfect world, it always get, uh, gets uh, sabotaged because of our sin. We tend to be selfish. We tend to paint the world in, in colors that we want it to be, which may not match with our sinful brother or sister who's painting their own picture. So what God does then is in this time, he is working to teach us patience. Now, one of the things you have to remember, too, is that in Galatians 5, Paul says that patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. 
You see, God recognizes that we are not by nature patient people. But the Spirit helps us then in producing that fruit that will help in shaping and forming our lives. So go ahead and pray for patience, understanding the Holy Spirit wants to give it to you. And uh, if you just refuse to be patient, then, I don't know, let God slap you around a little bit and uh, get you straight in line again. But the point is that God indeed works in these times, creating this very special gift. But also then Paul goes on to talk about prayer. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. A couple of very important concepts here that uh, Paul brings to us. First of all, he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, referring to, to prayer. Now think about it for a moment. What, what is your weakness in terms of prayer? I know for some people it's attitude. If you've got a chip on your shoulder, you're angry, that's going to taint how you pray if your mind wanders. Now this is my favorite one. When I'm trying to pr uh, pray, my mind just goes all over the street. And uh, of course, it can be your foolishness. You know, you're just not thinking through what you're supposed to be praying about or what you want is, is foolish. And then, of course, as Paul says here, we just don't know what to pray. And I think when we hit times of crisis, that's often the way it is. You know, what do we pray for uh, during this time? But Paul says, <clears throat> he uses the word groans. Now, if you go back through the text that I uh, have read earlier, you see that word pops up every once in a while, groans. And Groaning, in this sense, is something different from the head or the heart. Groaning, of course, we don't do that logically. Loving, some of that comes, but where real groaning takes place is in the gut. You see, it's in the gut where all of our stuff comes together. Our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our worries, our faith our hope, they're all in there just kind of churning around. And because of our sin, they can get distorted when we groan them up to heaven because we can't find words for what we want to say. But what the Holy Spirit does, and that's where the Spirit goes to work, is he goes into the gut and he takes all that stuff that's churning around there and he takes it up to heaven. And he turns it into the language of God. So that we know that no matter what we pray for or how we pray for, understand that the Holy Spirit is down in there. He's working in that. Again, part of what he's doing is shaping and forming us to deal with all that turmoil. And getting us focused then on what he says here is that the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. 
Now, <clears throat> this is very important because it under, helps us understand what God is doing. Suppose for a moment that Willie contracts the coronavirus. Willie is very sick and so he goes to the hospital. Willie is there for three days and he dies. Now where does the will of God come, come in that? I've known Christians who have just kind of been like the Greeks in believing the fates. That is that God decided it was time and boom, Willie was dead. In over 30 years of ministry, I've come to see that it's a lot more complicated or I would even say different than that. Because for Willie, it's done. But what about Willie's wife, Willie's kids and grandkids? What about his friends, the people that he works with? How is Willie's death impacting them? Because you see, their guts are churning because of what's happened to Willie. Their hopes, their fears, their faith, uh, their sense of uh, mortality, all of that's churning around in there. And for the believer, we know that the Spirit comes into that and he transforms that. See, God's desire is not that anyone perish. And death brings the reality of our humanity to us. And so what God does in there is by his Spirit's power, he helps us to process all of this stuff. And you see, then we begin to understand better when Jesus teaches us to pray, thy will be done. <clears throat> thy will be done doesn't mean, well, Lord, uh, don't zap me too soon, you know, or something like that. But thy will be done really is a God's inv invitation to come and struggle with him. To take all that stuff that's inside and say, God, I want to lift it to you. I want you to shape it and form it and use me as your will would require. And it's in there that we begin to understand more about comfort and patience and hope. Because the Spirit is working that. And finally then... Paul says in verse 28, <clears throat> We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now he starts out by saying we know all things uh, God works for good for those who love him. Now why do you love God? Well, Back to John 3.16. Because God first loved us. And that's the natural response to God's love is to love him back. But notice all that he packs around that. He says that <clears throat> we know that all things God works for good. All things. Now, I don't know. The older I get, the more I look back and see I have made some dumb twists and turns in my life, taken wrong roads and that have led to some real problems for my life. And I assume my case isn't all that unique. But what's good to know is that God takes those and he takes the stuff that we did the way God wanted it to get done and he puts them together like a pile of clay and he works and he works and he works and 
He works it for our good. And we don't always see that good until years looking back. And uh, I know for me that's been the case. Some of the stuff that uh, I knew was so stupid and so wrong, uh, <laughs> God has taken and he's mixed that in there. And I've seen how he's used that and used the other stuff, the good stuff in my life, to make me the man that I am today. And so we, we can trust that. That's a part of our hope that God is going to take whatever comes out of this and he's going to work it for our good. And notice he says, who have been called according to his purpose. When God is working through all of this stuff, he has a purpose. One of the big struggles that is at work today, probably more than any other time, is people understanding, why am I here? What purpose do I have? Well, God has a purpose for every one of his children. You may not see it right now, but in your gut, where all that stuff is churning around, you know that God is working there to reveal and to show and to illustrate to others more your purpose as a child of God. So it is with that comfort then that we come back to this coronavirus thing. We do have a hope, a solid hope, that all of this stuff is going to work out for each of us good. And we also know that it's an opportunity for us to learn patience. <clears throat> and one of the ways to do that is to help impatient people. <laughs> you, you probably have friends now who are uh, impatient with all that's going on. Get on the phone and talk to them. Use your, what shall I say, your church voice, your calming voice, you know, your voice of reassurance. And it's amazing how far that can go in, in helping someone. Also, there are people who are alone, who are afraid because they've lost their job, they've lost their income, and uh, their savings will only take them so far. Of course, many people don't even have savings. And this is an opportunity for us as the people of God to do some real ministry, is to care for one another. And that uh, creates quite a witness then to our world. And you're going to see then that that caring spills over, not only in our, out of, in our church, but out of it, uh, to other people. So that, that's exciting, of how God can use this transformative time to increase our hope and also to offer hope to others. And these are kind of crazy times, because a week from today, this is Saturday, our new pastors to be installed. And there's all sorts of questions coming up about, oh, you know, what are we supposed to be doing? How do we put all this together and so forth and so on? All you have to do is talk to, to our leaders and uh, you'll find there is some anxiety. But again, their hope and our hope goes back to we know that God's going to work this all out for our good. And uh, so then we pray and we encourage, we pray for and we encourage our leaders in what they're doing and uh, taking us uh, through this time. And I've really been proud of the, the men and women who've stepped forward and said, use me, God, as you will. But more than that, too, or 
beyond that, we need to be praying for our, our city, our county, our state, <clears throat> our national government. When I watch the news, it <clears throat> gets disgusting sometimes because it seems like politicians like to play gotcha. The presidential thing. You know, Republicans will listen to Joe Biden and he says something foolish and they say, gotcha. Or President Trump over here, the Democrats are watching and they see him do something offensive and they say, gotcha. We don't need gotcha right now. We need clear guidance on all these levels that I've mentioned. That God would work in this to help his people, to help our nation. And so we really need to be praying uh, for our, our leaders uh, locally, statewide, nationally. And that God use them. And so, see all this is piling together, you see, and I'm asking you to stuff it down here to let it process through. And I hope that as it processes, you see the Spirit at work and instilling in you a renewed hope. So that's, uh, that's where we are. So let's uh, take a moment now and to, uh, to pray about what God would be doing in us and uh, at this time. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the promise that you made to us through your Son. That not only are our sins forgiven, but there's glory ahead for us when he returns. And I ask, Lord, as we come to you today, that you would take our prayers, incomplete, imperfect, not knowing exactly how to pray, but that you use them and you form them and you shape them as they're brought to your throne. We pray, Lord, for our church and for its ministry at this time. Guide us and help us in each one of our members learning patience and confirming hope and knowing that God's working all things for good. We pray for our church leaders. We ask, Lord, that you give them wisdom and guidance in the tough decisions that they've had to make. Bless them, Lord, in their, their service to you and bless our congregation through that. And we thank you, Lord, that you're providing us a new pastor uh, next week. And we ask, Lord, that <laughs> he's jumping into a, a, a pot that's stirring and stewing. And uh, give him wisdom and guidance to help bring order and, and give leadership and encourage our leadership and in their ministry together. And Lord, we do pray for our, our city, our, our county, our state, our national government. Lord, move beyond the politics. Help these men and women in office to understand their role, to do it what they do to be a blessing to the people of our land and a blessing for your church. And Lord, we lift all these things up to you in the name of your son Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, thank you for watching this message and I pray that God's word to you today will indeed lift your hope. And so I'd like to close by extending a blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you. Amen.